Hello, everybody. This is Sawyer Rosenstein, or the NASA man of the Talking Space podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different. Since we were just recently on a break, we thought we would try something different here. So when we have these large periods of time where we don't have any podcast recording, or we're looking for something interesting, what we do is we go to you guys. We go to you, the space tweeps, to see what you think. So we're doing a little segment here called What's On Your Mind, where Mark Ratterman... One of our regulars was able to interview a member of our Space Tweeps here, Mark Benson. And so, after the intro, I will hand it over to Mark. But now... Well, this is Mark Ratterman, and I've got something different for you. I've decided to uh, contact one of our space fans, one of our space tweet folks, and I've called Mark Benson. He's in the UK, and uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about where you're at, and because uh, the UK is a bigger place than uh, than a lot of us in the US and other places realize, unless we've been there. Uh, I'm. Uh, I live on the uh, east coast of the UK, uh, sort of about halfway up, uh, sort of 150 miles north of London. You're, you're pretty close to the northern northern part of England, I would guess. I think I technically count as being in the north, but where the boundary between the north and the south is um, depends whether you live in the north or the south. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a bit. It's kind of the opposite way around to the United States. All the posh people live in the south, and all the rough people live in the north. It's sort of you know how it it's it's a flip side version of the United States upside down yeah well it, the, the stereotypes are the opposite way around but uh, yeah um I think I technically count it technically count as being in the north although if you draw a line I think I'm just under the halfway mark okay well uh this is a an idea that uh, that we wanted to move forward with of asking different people what's on your mind so here today we kind of got the wide open spectrum of uh, of things that interest you, you know, things that excite you, everybody that follows you on Twitter. And by the way, your Twitter name is, am I correct, is uh, it at M.D. Benson? Uh, that is correct, yeah, that's me. But, uh, I've, uh, I really sort of only got back into sort of following space through Twitter because I'd sort of drifted away from the subject. But yeah, I, I do have a fairly wide spectrum of interests, it's... I have a very sort of eclectic mind. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've been uh, getting a long way, getting quite a way into uh, amateur astronomy recently, uh, doing some planetary imaging, which has been uh, a real eye-opener. Uh, and also I have an interest in spaceflight as well, which is something that's been with me ever since I was a, a little boy, and following shuttle missions, space launches, stuff like that. But really, again, because I've just come back to the, the whole space 
subject recently and because I you can get to know so many really great people in really in the middle involved in the space program in America and and other places through Twitter I've I've sort of gone more into it now than I ever have and it gets more and more fascinating the deeper you go so I'm sort of I'm sort of finding topics left right and center like how the shuttle orbiter works and you know how Russian space launches and landings work and how you know the the details of the the shuttle launch systems and and as well as that I'm I've obviously been I'm starting out in astronomy as well so I've been doing things like planetary imaging imaging Jupiter learning how, all about how the moons behave around Jupiter and transits and things like that so it's yeah it's fairly wide variety of topics but sort of center basically more or less around two main things I think uh, my telescope is one thing and uh, my interest in the American space program probably at the moment more than anything else but uh, I'm sort of I'm trying at the moment to sort of widen my view of space exploration as well so I'm trying to sort of look at things like the European Space Agency which obviously UK is a part of and also look at the Russian space program and the various space programs and space organizations that contribute to the International Space Station so I'm sort of ever widening my scope as it were so yeah uh but uh yeah, it's, it's all really interesting very mind expanding stuff <laughs> yeah it's surprising to me i'm in the same uh same kind of time frame as you are it was this year that i started seeing more things on twitter about about space in general that interested me and all of a sudden i i find like uh well i don't know where to go i don't know where i want to go first you know there's like a kid in a candy store yeah, yeah, it, it can be a little bit like that sometimes. I, 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 uh, I recently stumbled across a, a really great uh, a shuttle mission simulator called Space Shuttle Mission 2007. Wow, really? There are the websites at uh, www.space-shuttle-mission.com, and it's it's an amazingly detailed uh, simulation. It's it's not a it's not a free simulation in such ways you can't launch the shuttle and do what you like with it. It's a, actually a mission simulation, so it takes you through all the missions and the different phases and all the different operations you have to carry out on orbit during launch and during landing, and you go right from uh, I think one hour fifty sec fifty minutes before launch right down to the landing. So you go right through the whole arc of a space shuttle mission. And uh, I think there's there's close. To, I think there's just over 20 missions maybe uh, included at the moment, uh, including uh, STS-125, that uh, great mission to the uh, Hubble Space Telescope. That, uh, and they sort of like vary in difficulties from like one star up, which is a fairly routine, straightforward mission, up to four stars, which is really complicated, complex missions. And uh, yeah, but it's 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 a great product. Not very many people seem to have heard of it, and in within the sphere of space tweeps and space fans, not not many very people seem to have come across it. I only I stumbled over it by accident. So uh, yeah, well, good. And um, and talking about a spatial simulator, and, and I think I'd have to start at one star because I'd be really worried about breaking the shuttle. I wouldn't want to be known for that. <laughs> <laughs> well. The first mission you get to do is STS-1, which was probably the most straightforward shuttle mission they did. You took off, moved around about three times, and then landed again, which was... It's a good intro. They do get fairly complex. Certainly stuff where you have to manipulate the RMS arm. I still haven't got my head around that entirely yet. 
it's a, a huge game of coordination between all the different joints in the arm, and it's <laughs> it's enough to make your it's enough to make your head hurt sometimes. But uh, I'm sure that's that's no simple thing. The astronauts make yeah. it look easy, though, don't they? Yeah, I, I I I really take my hat off to the guys that worked on STS-127, where they passed a piece of the. Uh, Japanese exposed facility from one arm to another arm through to a third arm, and that must have been incredibly difficult. <laughs> I can't imagine how I can't imagine how much how much coordination was involved with just one arm on its own is enough to coordinate, but people handling three different arms all at once—it was it's amazing. That's uh, that's what we pay them the big bucks for. At least you certainly <laughs> hope that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, how about uh, in astronomy? One of the things that I remember noticing uh, quite some time back was a picture that you had taken of Jupiter, and uh, I didn't even know that was possible. I always thought that was the, you know, from the realm of of the big telescope and the observatory and the distinguished, you know, the distinguished men that would uh, operate this uh, giant equipment. And and here you got a picture of Jupiter and did it, I, I guess, from your backyard. Uh, what prompted you to try that? Um, well, the way I kind of got in back into space, I've, I've really only got back into space in the last year, and uh, most of it's been through Twitter. And one of the first people I picked up on is a guy who lives fairly locally to me, and he's an amateur astronomer. He's got a fair bit of telescope gear, and he kind of got me sort of interested in buying a telescope, which is something I've always wanted to do, but I never quite got round to. Uh, but this sort of was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, and it sort of pushed me into buying a telescope. So I bought uh, a fairly big telescope. I got an eight-inch Newtonian reflector telescope, which is pretty pretty sizable. I mean, it's a it's a thousand millimeter long tube, so it's sort of about three feet and a bit long, and eight-inch diameter, so it's a fairly lumpy piece of kit. The problem, not a, so much a problem, but the, the the learning process of learning how to observe different objects in the sky is fairly fairly long, and I'm actually going on a training course at the end of this month to sort of sharpen up on how to use right ascension and declination coordinates to find things in the sky, which is something that I haven't quite got the hang of yet. But one of the first things I did was, obviously, this year, through the whole year, um, Jupiter's been very prominent in the southern sky, so... When I got a telescope, I looked at a couple of stars, looked at a couple of double stars and thought, yeah, they're cute. Uh, <laughs> and sort of thought, well, what else can I look at? And then one night I was out sort of relatively late in the summer and it was a lovely clear night and Jupiter was sat there on the, sat there in the southern sky and I thought, let's go have a look at that. So I pointed the telescope at it and I was astounded by how much I could see just looking through the eyepiece on the telescope. And uh, the combination of that and a couple of people on Twitter who are uh, into astro-imaging and capturing images of uh, objects in space sparked something in my mind. I'm a very keen amateur photographer. Um, I've got a fairly decent SLR camera. Uh, and I tried to hook that up with the telescope and it didn't work because of on Newtonian telescopes, the, the basic problem is the focal plane is too far away to put a into the, into the body of the telescope to put a, an SLR camera on. It's, it's fairly technical, but uh, so 
I was kind of frustrated because I got an adapter, put my SLR on, it didn't work. I was like, oh, that's, I can't, I can't do this. Until somebody mentioned that you can actually buy a common garden, a couple of different models of webcam that you can change the manual focus ring for a, an eyepiece adapter and put them into a, into the eyepiece hole on a telescope. So I thought, well, it's fairly inexpensive because I mean I think the camera, the webcam cost me twenty pounds. I already had a laptop, and I had to buy one filter which cost me another fifteen, and then a, and the eyepiece adapter which was you know another fifteen or odd pounds. So it was fairly inexpensive by sort of astro- amateur astronomy standards compared to the five hundred pound telescope, five hundred <laughs> British pound telescope that I was using. So I thought that's an inexpensive option, and we'll give that a go. Uh, and lo and behold, it was fairly clear as soon as I set the system up with my laptop with the, with the camera and pointed it at Jupiter, that I, you know, I was onto a winner. And uh, I, I read into the, the mechanics of how to do the imaging and, and to sort of give you a rough idea of how it works, we, you take a, a stream of, you don't take a, a, st- a still image with the webcam, you take a, a stream of maybe 500 to 1,000 frames of video exposed over sort of, maybe a few minutes uh, so you end up with basically a, a bog standard windows media video that's just you know your telescope looking at this object in the sky and the, the video doesn't look all that impressive it's fairly fuzzy um not usually all that clear but the magic happens when you put it through this piece of software somebody pointed me at called registax which is a which basically takes your chunk of video uh the first thing it does is you draw a box around the object. In this case, it's obviously Jupiter, which is a fairly sort of big, easy-to-find object. You draw, a, you put a box around the object, and it aligns all the frames so that that object is, appears in the same place on every frame. And then it optimizes the image and stacks it up, and then you can tweak the settings to get the, the detail to come out in the image. And using the the webcam and capturing the video and then running it through Registax, you can actually get some really impressive images. And, you know, the first time I did it, you know, they they always say about beginner's luck, but the first time I did it, um, I happened to be looking at Jupiter during a double double transit, which is basically, I think there's five or six, I can't remember, there's five moons around Jupiter, for the, the inner four of which are known as the Galilean moons, which were the moons that uh, Galileo spotted appropriately almost <laughs> exactly 400 years ago. Uh, and I happened to do, the first time I imaged Jupiter, I happened to catch two of them transiting the surface at the same time. So I've got the first ever image I posted had two moons transiting the surface of Jupiter, complete with a shadow superimposed on the on the surface of the planet as they went past. And I... I I nearly fell off my chair when I got the image out of Registax. It was amazing. And uh, I, I literally never done anything like that before. And I just I, I just did it, and it came out. And I was like, what? <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Soft, really software s- magic. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds daft. And the feeling you get from doing something like that is incredible. You know, people are always, I mean, I'm always thoroughly impressed with images that come from places like Hubble Space Telescope and from observatories and from other people who do imaging and stuff like that. I'm always impressed by their images and how good they are. But there's something else about doing your own. Uh, it's the, the sense of achievement you get from doing it yourself is incredible. And you know, I say, I, when I first saw that image, it was just like, 
wow, <laughs> gives you gives you butterflies. It's it's fantastic. And uh, I've done I think three or four since, and uh, the results vary. I mean, the atmosphere is always the uh, always the uh, spoiler and things like this. I happened to the first time I did it, my beginner's luck got me a really clear night with a still atmosphere. <laughs> so I got a really sharp image, and I've done a few since, and they've been relatively good, but they've never quite been as good as that first one. Um, uh, it, it's almost as if the uh, stage was set for you, and, and all you had yeah, to do was, right. was don't push the uh, the scope off of its uh, target. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think maybe Galileo had his armor on my shoulder that night. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get you off to a good start. Yeah, it's interesting. You're uh, you're talking about going to some uh, some training for uh, for this in the future. I I bet we're going to see some great things out of MD Benson shortly. I hope so. One of one of the other one of the other things that I'm currently working on haven't actually tried yet due to the fact that uh, as I stare out the window. We're under yet another blanket of grey cloud, as ah. we have been for about a week and a half. Ah. Uh, you, weather, weather in the UK is working against the astronomer at the moment, but uh, I've actually got uh, a mounting to allow me to mount my SLR camera directly onto the tripod I use for my telescope, which of course has built-in tracking. Mm. Uh, it's built-in motorised tracking, so I can actually do long exposure photography with the tracking to prevent any star trails or anything. Yeah, it's uh, all very exciting. It's, it's sort of one of those things that uh, sometimes I think to myself how much effort it is to go out and set the telescope up because it takes me probably 20, 30 minutes to set set the telescope up. I have a set base out in the... I'm very lucky because I live out in a rural area and I've got a paddock next to me which is open and gives me a good view of the southern sky. And I've actually sunk three bricks into the ground so I can get the feet of the tripod exactly in the right place every time. Um, but even so, it takes me about half an hour to set it all up and put all the stuff together and set the power up with the laptop and all the all the all the associated uh, trappings that go with it. And uh, sometimes I think, well, this is a lot of effort, but it's a lot of effort until you look down the eyepiece usually. Mm-hmm. I've heard, and uh, I'm going to have to experience this myself, that uh, that when people with good amateur uh, astronomy setups, uh, you know, just put it out and maybe have people from the neighborhood, friends or, or someone that knows nothing about it, look through the eyepiece the first time, that it's um, quite a changing moment. And I imagine not having ever, I've never even looked through a telescope. In fact, i got to tell you, with uh, Twitter, when uh, L-Cross was about to impact the moon, I saw a message on Twitter that said, uh, are you using a scope or are you watching via scope or TV? And here I am in the electronics, uh, you know, technician maintenance kind of world, and I see scope and I'm thinking oscilloscope. And I'm going, I don't get what an oscilloscope would have to do with this. <laughs> and literally, I kid you not, it was at least 30 minutes. And, you know, later that I went, scope oh that's the telescope thing i've heard about yeah that that's the other thing i don't know whether you've i don't know whether you've seen the images i did uh, i did a, a set of images that i composited together of the moon during a i think it was an almost full moon where i actually took images 
and move the move the telescope around to sort of pan around the surface of the moon. And I stitched them all together in a program on the computer to stitch them all back together. I didn't get a complete surface, but it's like three quarters of the surface of the moon all stitched together out of frames. And uh, that was quite eye-opening as well, because uh, it's not until you look through a really good telescope at the moon you realize how complex the, the whole landscape on the moon is. Because when you look at it from the ground with the naked eye, it's like kind of flat and white. You can maybe see the odd crater. Mm. Uh, but when you look at it through a telescope, it's mind-blowing. The detail on the surface is just incredible. So, yeah, uh, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've definitely got some good times ahead. And, uh, and some of these photos that you've, you've posted, I'm going to have to go back and look. Because I'm thinking of the one you referred to by Jupiter, but uh, the moon... Uh, part was that one that you had uh, a link to? They're all on my uh, Flickr account. Okay. Uh, my Flickr account is uh, Pixel underscore Mason. So P I X E L underscore M A S O N. If you can find me on Flickr under that, and uh, yeah, I'm, all my I keep all my astro imaging, my small currently very small collection of uh, astro imaging results on there. But uh, it's growing every sort of every time I get some fair weather, which at the moment's not very often. But yeah, uh, I did the last one I did. I think I did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I went out to uh, I went out a couple of weeks ago and did some more of Jupiter. But it's, Jupiter's getting a bit low on the horizon at the moment, so getting more and more atmospheric interference. So, uh, but yeah, uh, every time I do more images, I add them to my Flickr account. So if you sort of keep an eye on that, then that. Uh, that's got all my stuff on. That's good. I'll, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll pick up some extra views of that, and uh, and probably uh, the way the way the system works. Uh, you know, we seem to to find out more about more things just through interest that other folks have. Anything else you'd like to uh, to to talk about as to what's on your mind here today? I know we got a lot of a lot of material that uh, we'll be back to you to talk about in the future. Uh, yeah, um, I think we'd probably call it call it one at that. <laughs> okay, well that's certainly interesting, everything we've been talking about and uh, got more to talk about in the future. So, Mark, why don't you give us your, your Twitter ID, spell it out, uh, make sure we're not thrown by that, that odd accent that you've got, which I know people find <laughs> thoroughly enjoying. Here I am living in North Florida in the U.S. and occasionally get to meet somebody from... Uh, from Britain or, or maybe down under from Australia. And, uh, you know, th- those would be places that could easily be a second home. But uh, give us give us your, your Twitter so that people can follow you if they've just now hearing you for the first time and haven't. Uh, yeah, my uh, Twitter ID is uh, mdbenson. That's uh, M-D-B-E-N-S-O-N. If you'd uh, like to follow me, then feel free. <laughs> and thanks again for being with us on the uh, Talking Space podcast, and uh, we'll be talking again in the future. Thank you very much for uh, allowing me to be on the podcast. I'm, uh, that's the first time I've ever been uh, broadcast by voice. <laughs> <laughs>